Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 63, Dark. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's Mike and Dave with you once again, and this is a topic that we are really excited about. I just get so thrilled when we have a show like this to talk about, because Dark is on my list of top time travel series and possibly top sci-fi series of all time, and for it to be a non-English speaking series is pretty exciting in that respect, because that is an unusual height for it to have achieved for it not being in English. <laughs> yeah. And I think for a lot of us, it just seemingly came out of nowhere. You know, it showed up on our Netflix feed. Ah, oh, it looks cool. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I think it was after we talked about this a little bit in our non-English speaking sci-fi series discussion topic at one point, but 3% from Brazil is the one that kind of opened the door on Netflix for all this international programming. And dark has really risen to the top and, they're not resting on their laurels here, are they, Dave? I mean, it kind of got right back into it, even with the complexities of the family relationships and the time travel shenanigans. Yeah, I mean, it's not Game of Thrones in that respect, in, in that you've got so many characters and so many families to deal with. We, we've got our basic four families and and then, of course, people on the edges now. But yeah, it didn't take long to get right back into it. And I did not do a rewatch this time. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I thought I was going to have to, but I really didn't. But we want to mention a couple of things up front, and that is that because this is a Netflix series, it falls into that category that we've had difficulty with before on this podcast in that there will be some people in the audience that will have watched a lot more than just two episodes, which is all we're going to be discussing in this podcast. Dave's only seen the first two episodes. I've seen the whole series We'll give nods to certain things in a spoiler-free way, but I think we want to acknowledge people in the audience that maybe have only gotten a certain amount into the series, and those who might uh, have gotten farther in can just kind of have a wink and a nod as they listen to the podcast and still get some enjoyment out of it. It's a very delicate balance for this type of podcast to talk about a Netflix show that can be binged, and how do you, how do you podcast a show like that? Right. It becomes increasingly difficult. And I'll kind of set you up to acknowledge perhaps whether that question gets answered, not what the answer is, <laughs> yeah. not which episode it does get answered. But right. And I think that's a, a spoiler that everybody can agree is that's ah, acceptable. So the fact that we will not have a spoiler zone alert in this podcast is kind of double meaning here. It It means that we are going to be going into spoilers for episodes one and two and kind of going full bore because obviously if you haven't seen season one, there's no way to remain spoiler free, but also we're not going to be spoilery about anything past episode two 
So it should be safe for all kinds of different listeners. And I think that's the best (laughs) way we could have done it. The only way we could have done it. Yep. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. This is, as we've said, the German Netflix science fiction series Dark, which returned on June 21st, 2019 for an eight episode second season. And we already have known that a third season has been greenlit. And if history tells us anything, it's probably going to drop the third season that is on or about June 21st through 27th, 2020, because those June dates are integral to the story that's taking place in dark. That's right. June 21st, 2019 being the date that Mikkel slash Michael hung himself starting off the series in season one. So I thought that was interesting that they used a date from season one to introduce season two. But did you notice that the third season is also the final season? I did. And in one respect, I really like it because, look, you and I have seen a lot of shows, as have the listeners, that really drag it on a little bit too long. And we love the characters. We've bonded with them. We've established relationships and we're willing to keep going. But we really know the writers could have ended it earlier had they known how much time they had. And the other thing is when you have a time travel show like this that has a bunch of loops, causal loops and bootstrap paradoxes, you're going to get caught in a mistake. Now, Dark has done a great job of not doing that. And I think 12 Monkeys even acknowledged that. They had bootstrap paradoxes in season one and then discarded them later on because they knew that it just wasn't going to work. So got to give props to Dark for sticking with their formula for this long. (laughs) Yep. So, well, let's talk about a few things in general before we get into the specifics of episode 201. At this point, we've established now five timelines. And again, if you watch the series, you know that it's time travel, but they time travel to a specific point in time, 1921, 1954, 1987, 2020, and 2053. And I think the question that really starts percolating early in season two is whether or not any of these timelines can be changed. Right. And I don't think they can, but we are getting small hints that there might be a possibility. And I think thematically season two is addressing the idea that maybe certain people, certain big players want the timeline to be changed or don't, (laughs) you know, you can't really figure out what their motives are, but Obviously, that question becomes, is it even possible? Right. Well, and I think the calendar raises that question more so than any other plot detail. And I'm not sure how we explain it otherwise, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Okay. (laughs) Now, now, one of the things that I wonder about this apocalypse that is talked about, is this worldwide or just limited to Winden? Because we know they've got a wall now built around the Winden power plant. And if it's limited, then... How come nobody from the outside has come in to help or intervene? Uh, is it something as sim- simple as a fear of radiation, which seems, um, you know, a little hard to believe? So I- I'm wondering whether or not that's something going to get addressed later on. I suspect it will. Well, no, I don't think it will. I mean, it's the characters that we see in these opening episodes do appear to be your typical post-apocalypse society with their rules and everything like that. And we don't get to see anything beyond Winden in seasons one or season two. So I think they're probably just leaving that up for us to interpret. 
Okay, and, and that's fine. Look, we're accepting time travel, so <laughs> we we can accept that. Now, one one of the characters that is new to season two is Adam, who does seem to be in charge. Last season, we thought Noah was in charge of we weren't sure exactly what, but now Adam seems to be Noah's boss, if you will. And I wonder, because certain details, clues have been dropped, whether or not this is some sort of a world-cleansing event similar to the Old Testament flood. Oh, very nice. Yeah, obviously these are very biblical names, and we get the hints in episode one that the chosen name of Noah is important. Uh, I'm not sure how different people might interpret that, but certainly Adam being at the head of things does have a certain (laughs) beginning ring to it. All right. And whether or not the beginning is actually in 1921, we don't know at this point, but that's obviously the the earliest we've gone. And, And that's one of the things that does seem to be made evident in season two in terms of time travel rules is that you can only jump one iteration ahead. So in other words, from what we've been told by characters, you can't go from 1921, say, to 2020. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how Ulrich got back to 1954. Did he go in twice to get back that far? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. But, but yeah, he must have, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the other thing that's fascinating and obviously plays a huge role in, in the season is, is this notion of a god particle or Higgs boson, which I don't think they actually use the term Higgs boson. They did use it, but the God particle just sounds so much more metaphysical that they went with that, because that is a real term. Right. And and that seems to be that object or whatever that's floating in the plant ruins. And we then see that, okay, that seems to be produced by the time machines as used by Jonas, older Jonas, and then older Claudius. So... I guess the idea at this point in in the series after episode two of season two is that, okay, there must've been some sort of an accident and, and it's floating in space now rather than getting contained, however it gets contained. But, uh, well, to me also it's separate. I mean, like the time machines do one thing, the tunnels also do that thing. And now we've got this God particle that also it's basically different tools to accomplish the same thing, which is to jump around in time. So I'm not sure they're necessarily related. Maybe we'll find out a little bit more about that, but it doesn't seem like they're necessarily as a result of each other. Okay. And and of course, you and I have talked about time travel rules many, many times over the seven years we've been podcasting together. And they establish in the series that the same individual at different ages can interact with him or herself in alternate timelines. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And and season two does a great job of that because they even intimate that older versions of characters remember the conversations that they had with their older selves back when they were the younger ones. So I love when that happens because it creates a sense of inevitability. <laughs> yeah, And then the other thing that I, have to consider is whether or not this is solely about fixing things or preventing timelines from being altered. Is it one group on one hand that wants to go back and fix things and another group on the other hand wants to prevent them from fixing things and let things play out? So sort uh, of, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So fascinating. All right. So in, in episode 201, we basically have three timelines that we find ourselves in 1921, which is the first time we've been there. 
2020, and then 2053, which was a timeline that we assumed we were in at the end of season one. We, mm-hmm. we didn't have it verified, but of course we were correct. And we don't see much of 1921, but we see these two guys digging in the wind and cave with hand tools. And while we understand that the majority of the cave system is naturally occurring, we also know that the tunnels, as we saw last season, Ulrich crawling through, clearly man-made. And I'm thinking like, oh, my God, how long is it going to take them with that hammer and chisel? Yeah, a long time, several decades. (laughs) Right. But we do learn pretty quickly that one of the younger guys is Noah, which kind of answers a question that we had last season. Is Bartosh younger Noah? Well, doesn't appear that way because this is younger Noah and he's definitely not Bartosh. So then we get that scene where adult Noah, the Noah, of course, that we know is sitting in a chapel talking to his younger self. And again, this is a chapel we've been in before, but but we can see they're still constructing it. And, you know, he gives him that line, I am you, I am your inner voice. And it does seem as if younger Noah is aware that he's conversing with his older self. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be unusual for them in some cases. Right. Now, that's pretty much all we get out of 1921 at this point. So to jump way ahead to 2053 and the teenage Jonas that we know from, you know, season one, it was in 2019. And obviously a year has gone by. So now we're dealing with 2020. So, you know, Jonas is what, 17, 18, 19 at this point, and mm-hmm. he's in 2053. And the big question in episode one is, what the heck is he up to? I mean, you know, we see the damaged reactors in the background. So, of course, that raises questions. But I mentioned to you at the beginning of the discussion whether or not the timelines can be altered. And I have to bring up the calendar scenes because we see Jonas wake up and it doesn't take us too long to figure out, oh, he's in his family home. Of course, it's, you know, in in a post-apocalyptic state. But there's that 2020 calendar on the wall. June 21st is not crossed out. Right. Later, we see his mother in 2020 cross it out. Yeah. And this is the only thing, and I could say this without fear of spoiling anything, It's the only thing we get that's like this that I've noticed. Now, maybe there's some people out there that spotted other little details that changed slightly, but that was very distinct. It's like they wanted to point it out to us and maybe give us the hint that this shows that small changes can be made, even if big ones can't. Right. That could be. Now, he's got that box of cassettes and the one he plays is of Claudia Tideman, who claims to be one of the few survivors of the June 27th, 2020 apocalypse. And we get much more information from that tape as a voiceover in episode two. And, you know, I'm not going to read it, but she basically goes on to explain the God particle and what they think it is, how it's powered and, you know, things of, of that nature. Right. Basically that you can stabilize it to create a doorway to the past. Well, she says it might. So she sort of implies that they don't know that they've sent objects through. But I get the sense they haven't sent people through at this point. Right. So it's all theoretical at this point. But from this, I conclude that Jonas is looking for a way back home. Wouldn't you say? 
Absolutely. And we'll talk about that because that happens in episode two. I mean, that becomes clear. I mean, whether or not he actually gets home, we don't know in episode two, but that's his motivation. So as we're following Jonas around this post-apocalyptic wind in, we see that scene where there are dead bodies hanging from trees. There's gunfire in the distance. And then we come upon this group, which is the group that we see him find at the very end of season one and they're conducting an execution by hanging accusations that someone is hiding god and and this whole idea that you know you're not supposed to go into the dead zone and at this point i'm thinking okay uh, the dead zone is clearly the place of the highest concentration of radiation they are trying to rebuild society they don't want to lose people for stupid reasons of course that's not true right and here's the thing too we were just talking earlier about how widespread is this is it worldwide or is it just winden there's also that detail of the vehicles you just see it as a light passing over the woods seeming to look down into the woods and they always have to hide from that so maybe there is some sort of containment similar to what we saw in the series the rain right where the apocalypse wasn't that widespread but it also had to be contained by the outside world no one else could come in but can we conclude that after that number of years things within the circle of containment would have degraded to this quasi religious (laughs) forbidden zone type thing or is it just a uh, smoke screen for like you said keeping people safe from radiation well, you know, I, I think it's more a smokescreen. And, and obviously we see that there are two women that seem to be in charge of this execution. And one is Future Girl. And, you know, in IMDb, she's still referred to her character that is as girl from the future. But she's the one that knocked Jonas out in the season finale last night. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and the other girl that seems to be even more in charge and is clearly deaf, which, of course, then sends us the message that, oh, I'll bet this is Elizabeth Doppler. And we don't have indication concretely that it's her, but I think we pretty much know it's that's her. That's a pretty safe bet, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so then the question that's going around in my head is like, well, why doesn't Elizabeth recognize Jonas? And I think the answer is, well, she does. Yeah, exactly. She just doesn't want to acknowledge it to the uh, tribe, as it were. Yeah. And at this point, it's only her that not only knows the truth about Jonas, but knows the truth about why she wants to keep people out of the dead zone. Now, why she thinks that's a good idea, we don't learn through the first two episodes. But one of the things we're watching Jonas, and I can't believe there's a person out there that's thinking like, dude, you're walking in the power plant ruins. You've got a Geiger counter. It's clearly registering radiation. (laughs) Yeah. You're walking towards the higher concentration, puts on a yellow suit, which I'm sure hasn't degraded in 33 years at all. (laughs) Perfectly safe. Yeah. And that's, of course, where we first see the God particle floating in the air. And we're like, "Uh, okay, whatever. But yeah, uh, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt, because what choice does he have? If he wants to get back to his time, he might have to take a dose or two. (laughs) Right. Now, the other storyline is present day 2020. 
six days before the apocalypse. And I, I guess one of the first things we learn is that this special task force has been commissioned to take the investigations into the missing individuals in a new direction. And I guess everything else that we've learned and everything else we're kind of invested in, this seems like uh, yeah, it's just a bunch of missing people. Of course, we know they're tied in. But this guy, first thing, he seems like a real dick, number one. <laughs> yeah. And of course, we understand that she has virtually no hope of finding these people. I, I, mean, I mean, Charlotte's been on this investigation for, you know, a year, but we know the truth. <laughs> you know, they're either in another time. She knows a little bit of it as well. Yeah, she's come to learn that right at the end. But but the other thing that that strikes me and again, this is something you and I have talked about since we've been podcasting, that we don't like to go online and read what a lot of people are saying because we want these to be our ideas. And sometimes something's so confusing, we we need a little help. But one thing I did stumble across is that in Germany, apparently it's a requirement for an officer to have a driver's license. Yeah, what a weird detail that Clausen does not. <laughs> right. So if the idea is simply to force him together to charlotte doppler okay that's one thing why doesn't he just say i don't have a car well the answer would be well they'll just issue you one at the police station so then my brain's thinking all right he probably doesn't have a license because he's not from this time Ooh, i like it so not something that we actually get answered i'll, I'll let you know that but clausen is an interesting character that does have an arc throughout the season and it's not probably what you think it is however i do think it's interesting that he's rehashing sort of some season one details in a way that is very suspicious. Like he automatically thinks something is going on and he's very savvy with it, but it also answers some questions for the audience. Like why does no one ever leave this town that's born here? Now, now we don't necessarily get answers to that question, but he at least brings up the question. And so right. he's almost like an audience proxy in that respect. <laughs> right. Right. Now, adult Jonas, who I'm figuring is probably around 51 years old, uh, makes that move to connect with his mother, mm -hmm. who's ready to blow her brains out. And certainly this is one of the things that I, I wonder. I mean, we've got the detail about the calendar discrepancy, but he arrives just as she's got the gun to her head or under her chin. Is this an event that he knows is going to happen and he's changing the timeline, essentially saving her from killing herself. It seems like such a coincidence. But at the same time, everywhere else, we've gotten indications that you can't change things. So either this was predestined for him to save her, or he doesn't even know that he did it by accident, preventing okay. her from killing herself. Right. <laughs> and you mentioned at the beginning of the discussion the idea of the d different loops that were apparently dealing with, and, and that would certainly go along with what you just said. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I love the fact that after he goes through all of his explanations you know this is how i'm going to prove i'm your son from the future and all that she just cuts right to the chase well where's my jonas (laughs) well he's in the future but he can't get back but he says he's here to end it once and for all and of course i'm thinking well does he mean end it or prevent it i mean is he trying to end noah's plan but well don't know at this point yeah and i think they keep it very mysterious as to what ending it means except for Jonas because Jonas in season one made it clear that he was trying to stop the loop from happening altogether and maybe undo it altogether. But all he succeeded in doing was closing the tunnels and starting the whole event off to begin with. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And we don't talk often enough about the acting in dark and and perhaps it's because they're speaking German and we're listening to the dubbed audio. And ironically, I've listened to a lot of interviews on YouTube and most of the cast speak perfect English. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't know why they don't do their own dubbing or, but whatever his mother, I mean, Hannah, who's a character that was so unlikable in season one is now so sympathetic and everything she has lost. And for now, and, and for just now. <laughs> the, the, what's that? She's sympathetic for now. <laughs> okay. And just the acting. And the other one, we see very little of her. I don't even think she talks in episode one. And that's Katarina, who I think is equally depressed over the losses that she's encountered. And she's also obsessed because she's found files from her husband. And now she's apparently making forays into the cave. And, and, and of course, we wonder how far she's going to get in the cave. Is she going to be the next time traveler from 2020? Her children, Martha and Magnus, have discovered what she's doing. Are they going to follow her? So some great, great stuff. Especially since season two, I think you start to notice as you get later in the season that they're just going to open it up to more and more people finding out what's really going on. And that opens up a, a ton of possibilities, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And not that we needed it because I think we pretty much established it in season one, but uh, young Ellie, who's I think around 11 years old, she finds that group photograph from 1921 and points out to her father, there's Noah. That's the man that gave me the watch. And of course he hasn't aged and, Certainly anything that Peter has thought to this point about time travel is, has simply been verified. And then, of course, Noah and his role, which has seemingly changed. We, we know he's working for Adam or so it seems. But there's that one scene in 1921. Adam is talking to Noah and he says the Bartosh was always naive by nature. So, of course, that tells us that he's met Bartosh in one of the timelines. And at, at this point, we've only seen Bartosh in 2020. So then that kind of goes back to the idea that Adam is somebody that we've met before, but because of the scars, we don't really know who he is at this point. Right. And that's just such a great way to do it, because on the one hand, you're thinking, OK, obviously they're disguising who this person is. But on the other hand, you can't really speculate until 
the facts are right upon you. And fortunately, that mystery comes about very early in the season. I was surprised that a big reveal for Adam happens in episode four. So something to look forward to if you haven't made it that far. Okay. And the other thing that's so fascinating is not only who he is, but what are his motivations for doing whatever the hell it is that he's doing? Right. Right. And you talked about a couple of the possibilities of what ending means, but what if it just means stopping things from going around and around? Like if you look at time loops as repeating cycles that they're aware of, the people that are travelers are aware of, like maybe they just want it to stop repeating and fix one thing so that it unravels and then they they can move forward into the future. That's another possibility. They need to break the loop. Wear shield when you need them. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. So episode 202, we also see three timelines, but this time it's 1987, 2020, and 2053 again. But we start a day later, June 22nd, 1987, five days until the apocalypse. So I wonder, and I think this is something you can go ahead and answer. I mean, is episode three going to be four days until the apocalypse? Yeah, they keep creeping towards it until the finale. And so I think what's interesting to note, though, is that it doesn't matter whether they're in 1987, 1954, 2020. They always say that June, whatever it is, is five, four days, three days, whatever, until the apocalypse. Because the thing is, that apocalypse is going to happen across all five of the different timelines that we know of. It's not just happening in 2020, although obviously that's what they're hinting at, is that there's something going to happen at the at the nuclear power plant. But they say that it's a certain amount of time. Even Adam, I think, says a couple of times that they have a couple of days until the apocalypse from his perspective. So it doesn't really seem to matter which time period you're in. You're still working forward one day at a time towards that end. Right. And I don't think that's spoilery, what you just said, because I think there are enough hints in the first two episodes that that is going to be the case that they're going to go across timelines now i love the scenes with young mickle and nurse enos conwald and of course they're in the house that jonas and his mother eventually end up living in and it was really nice to see her out of the nursing uniform because even though she was so sweet to him there was the severity of her hair pulled back and she's got that 80s look and she and again she's still so sweet to him and she understands he's depressed because it's his mother's birthday and we certainly know he's told her his truth whether she believes it is obviously another story she's making him lunch for school and he just goes over and hugs her and and just a really great scene yeah the only thing i have reservations about and i should have picked this up in season one i just didn't realize it until season two She's kind of got a Munchausen by proxy thing going on with keeping him safe, keeping him close, even stealing those sedatives from the hospital sometimes to keep him uh, at bay. And you kind of see that that psychological damage has reached forward to Jonas's father, who's kind of agoraphobic. So I think that's interesting how that parallels. Well, and there's another parallel, I think, when we get to Ulrich, who, you know, we learn that in 1987, he's now an old man who's been in this psychiatric facility for 34 years. Yeah. Is this because he claims to be a time traveler? I I don't know, because he seems perfectly lucid. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can't really ascribe actions to him during those three decades. But even in 1954, he was losing it. <laughs> you know, right. so, but you would think that, yeah, at some point he would be lucid, unless they just kept him drugged up because of the state of mental hospitals at the time, maybe something like that. Well, it could be. And and that's what made me think about his case. You know, when you mentioned Nurse Enos with uh, the drugs and and Mickle. But when Egon Tideman calls on him to ask him some questions, again, he seems perfectly lucid. And here's what I wonder about. And I don't know whether you can answer it or you can answer that. Yes, we'll find out. But Egon goes to meet him. And of course, we know that they've met many times before but Ulrich quotes those lines from that heavy metal record he was listening to when Egon came into his bedroom to basically uh strong arm him and he quotes those lyrics and Egon says yeah I think I've you've been saying those but has that event not yet happened for Egon so in other words Teenage Ulrich should still be alive in 1987, right? Right. It's interesting that that there's not too much parallels drawn besides that rock lyric. But yeah, you've you've basically honed in on a specific event for Egon that will carry through the season that will allow him to kind of use his police savvy, his investigative skills to figure some things out. So obviously I can't say what, but yeah, Egon definitely has a very interesting uh, path ahead of him. And what I love about that that's going to happen is when we see older Egon in 1987, I mean, he's a real dolt. I mean, he's at the end of his career. It's like, screw this. I'm just going to sit here until my pension kicks <laughs> in. But when we meet him in 1953 as a young police officer, he he's very dedicated. He's a very good police officer. So that's encouraging that we're going to see a different side of him. Well, in, in a sense, in it's a reawakening, right? Okay. He goes back to his more gung-ho self of his youth. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. Now, we're in 2020 also. And, you know, we mentioned that 1921 group photo. And Clausen, who is the new investigator uh, for this special task force, he mentions Alexander taking his wife's name as being unusual. So she's asking him, well, why even asking that? What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> and that's something I know that Wayne and I talked about last year when we were, we were doing our dark uh, podcast. And we don't get an answer why he does it. I think we can surmise that he does it to hide his true identity because... Yeah. And the thing is, this is so great about Dark, is that it introduces things in season one that still have mysteries, even if you've watched all of season two. And one of them is, why did Boris, I think his original name was Boris Nywald. Yeah. Why did he rename himself Alexander Kohler, right? Yeah. Well, that's still unanswered. So there's still some things that we need to learn in season three. And I just picture the writer's room with like an investigation board that has red yarn kind of zipping all around it to keep all of this stuff straight because why introduce this as a detail unless it's going to pay off later what a what a long-held Chekhov's gun that is well you know and and i was just going to mention that very idea because then we go back to when hannah conwald opens up the box pulls out the gun and puts it under her chin ready to blow her brains out and we see that passport 
and we realize, well, that's Alexander or yeah. or Boris. So that's his gun and that's his passport. Yeah. So, What's all that about? Still don't know. <laughs> right. Now, you know, you mentioned some mysteries that we really are still struggling to figure out how they fit into the greater arc. You know, Magnus and Francesca are are still together as boyfriend, girlfriend, but they've got some issues, one of which is that he clearly does not trust her and follows her, sees her open that little box that, that we saw last season, put something in. And then he sees that transvestite hooker come to said box, open it up, take something out, put something in. And sharp eyes tell you what Francesca puts in. It's really a flat envelope. There's maybe one sheet of paper inside. The envelope that he puts in or she puts in has some weight to it as if it's money. And that is, is of course, what it is. But that scene where he comes in and just confronts her about prostituting herself. I know how you get your money. Well, he assumes that because Benny is a prostitute, that must mean that Francesca is too. Yeah, exactly. It's obviously a, a weird thing to jump to. All right. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking like, dude, her little sister's right in the next room. <laughs> well, she's deaf. Oh, of course. And that's, <laughs> and then that's the next thought. So, well, here's the uh, thing though. Okay. So this is a great bit of characterization. It kind of, speaks to the relationship between Magnus and Francesca, but is it just a moment that is a throwaway? I don't necessarily think so. And there's certainly some things in store for Magnus and Francesca later in the series. And whether or not this moment ties into their relationship that we see later is still up for question for me. So I I find it an interesting detail to include in season two. Um, Yeah. Keep an eye on that and let me know what you think if it ends up being relevant later. Right, because we're getting a few answers, of course, like any good mystery, for every question they answer, they raise two new ones, and that's fine. And and knowing that they have a season three and that there are six more episodes to season two. But then we get that scene where older Jonas takes Hannah into the caves with the time machine to show her the truth. And, and we understand that that truth is why your husband killed himself. Mm-hmm. And whether she puts all of that together as she stares in the window of the house and sees 11-year-old Mikkel with Enos, you know, maybe that hasn't all processed in her brain just yet, but you know that it will eventually. Yeah, especially when she realizes that she slept with Ulrich and Ulrich's son. Right, right. (laughs) Which is just crazy. But yeah, an interesting way to bring another person on board, especially considering this version of Jonas is a lot older. So why he considers that a necessity at this point is kind of interesting. But obviously there are decisions to be made on Hannah's part as the season progresses. Right. And and of course, the opening scene in episode one, where Jonas wakes from the dream having sex with his aunt. <laughs> yeah. And I and I kept waiting for the series to make some sort of a Daenerys Jon Snow Thrones, reference. Yeah. But, uh, but no. All right. And then we're in 2053. And Jonas has apparently gotten some highly advanced equipment that's been dormant for 33 years to operate again. Yeah. That kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. He's even like looking around at the paperwork as though he understands nuclear physics suddenly. 
and can right. figure out how to stabilize the God particle. All yeah. right. And, and, you know, we had a few classroom scenes in season one, mm-hmm. but none of them would have established Jonas as this great scientific mind <laughs> as, yeah. as a young person. So like you said, we'll, we'll just take that. And, and to a certain extent, Claudia's tape goes into a little bit of the details about what needs to be done to get the God particle running. But again, whatever, it can provide a portal that may be used for time travel. Now, we see Jonas, despite seeing that people have been hanged for going into the dead zone, he goes, of course, he gets caught. And now we know where older Jonas got those marks on his neck that we saw right away in season one. Mm -hmm. And of course, at that time, I think most of us are thinking, all right, somehow it's related to Jonas's father who hanged himself. But but alas, no. (laughs) Right. That's, of course, not the the case. But he challenges Elizabeth about why she's lying about what's really going on the dead zone. But the other thing I notice about Elizabeth, she's damn good with a gun. You know, at first she shoots him in the knee, but when you rewatch it, she really just grazes him. Yeah. And then when she shoots the rope, we know, all right, that wasn't an accident. She grazed him deliberately. Right. And it's interesting to try and figure out Elizabeth's motivations at this point. You definitely will get answers as to why she's perpetrating this prophecy, which sounds very Noah and Adam-like, right? Right. The fact that she's saying that they're being promised a paradise, and she's got all these people believing it, and Jonas says, there is no such thing. Why are you telling this? That obviously will get an answer, but it's very interesting to think that this meek girl, who's certainly headstrong in her own way in 2020, but how she gets to this point is just such an interesting little detail. And I think this version of her in in the future realizes Jonas's importance. And even though it's confusing to future girl, why did you let this person go? You killed everyone else. Why does this guy get to live is very much speaking to what Elizabeth knows and finds out through the course of those 30 years. Now is future girl of an age that she could be Elizabeth's daughter. Well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. She seems like if it's 33 years, past a 10 year old however old elizabeth is in 2020 then certainly okay i I get the impression that there's a lot of people in that tribe of elizabeth's that were either very young when the apocalypse happened or were born afterwards okay so they don't know anything else right now the the other thing jonas tells them after he's been shot down and and avoids actually dying as a result of the rope he's only trying to save the people in his time so do the people in the tribe know he claims to be a time traveler, but they don't know that Elizabeth and he know each other? Or is this the first they've heard of this claim? Yeah. Well, we don't really get to find out, do we? Because we don't no. see any reaction from them. Right. But yeah, that's but, a good point. Maybe it just doesn't matter. In fact, I'll tell you, I was very worried going into season two that we were going to spend way too much time in this apocalyptic future and that it would be a completely different show. And that's not the case. We don't spend a whole lot of time in the 2050 time frame. And in fact, I just want to mention before we end up our discussion, those of you who have seen the end of season two and know the, the next paradigm shift that's ahead of us for season three, 
there's a little bit of a worry again for me that things might change a little bit too much. But because season two did not prove to be turning into a post-apocalyptic show instead of a time travel show, I'm going to go ahead and trust that season three will know what it's doing too. <laughs> oh, that, that's good because, I mean, for me, two episodes in, this is the dark that I love. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. So the last thing that happens is he's locked in a cage. Future girl breaks him out, maybe because she likes him. But I think more that she's intrigued by what he's saying. And she asks him, who are you really? And wants to know why Elizabeth's hiding the truth. He takes her there, gets the God particle cranked up, and then he walks into the portal, disappears. And of course, we don't know when he ends up. I assume we'll find out, but yeah, it might not be what you expect. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Cool. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to that for sure. (laughs) But uh, dude, two episodes in, uh, you know, I love it. And I get the whole idea about binging something that's this good. People have said, how could you stop after episode two? Well, (laughs) uh, there are other things I'm watching, believe it or not. And I do have other commitments, but I've always been one that really likes to savor a show like this and really think about it and rewatch it before moving on to the next episode. So obviously that's not everybody. And and there are shows that I will just simply binge. I mean, I'm doing that with Buffy right now. This is the first time I've ever watched that. And I'm just, you know, two, three episodes a day. But uh Oh, I, I, dude, I can't tell you. I can't wait to check out episode three tonight. Yeah, in fact, it should be noted that this podcast is coming out at a point where Dave will have seen episode three and perhaps even farther. And you can follow his discussion of each episode one at a time at SciFiTVRewatch.com. And uh, I think this podcast comes out right around when you'll be discussing episode four, I'm guessing, on that podcast. So um, definitely check that out if you haven't already because this is a show that definitely deserves an episodic discussion. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right, well, what do we have next, Mike? Well, next we have an interview edition of the podcast, and it's been one we've had in the vault for a little while, but it still actually holds up pretty well based on what's happening on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now. And we spoke to Clark Gregg, who obviously is the lead character on that show, Phil Coulson, but he's taken on a new form, a new character in season six of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as the mystery man Sarge. And we talked to him all about that transition. When is it that he knew that he was going to be making a transition from Coulson to Sarge and what we can expect overall from his character in season six. We actually spoke to him quite a number of weeks ago, but would you say Dave, the interview holds up pretty well, right? Oh, absolutely. And he was uh, somewhat reticent about what he could say, but of course he's a television veteran. He wasn't going to make any mistakes or faux pas. But even as we get towards the end of season six, by the time this interview airs, I think people will still be able to enjoy it just for the visit with Clark Gregg. If nothing else, we certainly enjoyed talking to him after podcasting for that show for a number of years. So that's next Sunday. But that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or via email at scififidelity at gmail.com. And and a lot of you have been giving us suggestions, which is great. Keep them coming. That's right. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.